Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm super grateful for your support of our show. This week's episode features Rachel Roth. She's the owner and founder of Urban Skin Solutions and Urban Skin RX. I first met Rachel last year at Beauty and Money Summit. The next Beauty and Money Summit is on April 25th in Los Angeles, and our podcast is a proud media partner with the event. So if you plan on being there, please look for Eleni. She's our executive producer, and she'll be at the event. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Blair James. He's the co-founder of Bondi Sands. I hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz. Welcome to this episode of Where Brains Meet Beauty. I am on the line, not sitting next to you, but on the line with Rachel Roth. She is the founder and CEO of Urban Skin Solutions and Urban Skin RX. Rachel, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited for you to be here. Um, We met about six or seven months ago at the New York Beauty and Money Summit. You were a spotlight finalist there and super impressive woman. And I was so excited to meet you in person. And I'm so grateful that we can have this call today. Yeah, no, Beauty and Money was a game changer for myself and my business, um, the product line, Urban Skin RX. So a lot has happened since then. So it's very exciting to reconnect. So I want to give our listeners a little lay of the land on why things are different today. So typically, I'm sitting next to, in real life, my guests. Um, Today, you and I are on the phone, um, and that is because we want to help support the Beauty Money Summit that's happening in April, and you um, are not in New York, right? Where are you based? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, the deep south. (laughs) It's such a great town. Yep. Yeah, we're probably... I don't think there's too many beauty companies out here. I definitely know we're the biggest beauty company in Charlotte. So we're not the typical New York-based beauty company. So we wanted to get this podcast recorded so that everybody can hear your story and your experience um, being at Beauty Money Summit. And you mentioned to me that you actually participated in two of the events. So um, let's start there, and then we'll go backwards. Um, what what made you want to submit yourself to be a spotlight finalist? Um, well, I think like many business owners, my dream is to one day sell my company. And it just seemed like the right place to go to start the beginning stages of that process. Like even though I don't foresee that happening for many years, um, it just seemed like that's where the people that you want to get to know from the invest, beauty investment world go, as well as they did offer a class that was kind of just like investment 101, and I know nothing about it. Like, I didn't at the time know the difference between venture capital firms and private equity firms and a strategic. Like, I didn't know how to categorize those three. I didn't know, you know, anything about, like, seed A, seed B, like, I just was very green, you know, if you ask me, you know, about formulas and aesthetics and marketing, I can go on and on, but just investment mm-hmm. wasn't my my thing, so, you know, just wanted to go there to really educate myself and network and just start to, 
you know, let people know that my company's out there and that one day we are interested in selling. You know, you mentioned not knowing anything about the, the finance side of that business. And, um, you know, my day job, I run a creative agency. So never, in, never would I imagine that I'd actually be like hanging out with bankers. Like, <laughs> it seemed like the total opposite of being a creative agency. And um, about four years ago, when I thought was happening in, in the industry and how, like, money was moving and decisions were being made, I was like, wait, what, what is this? <laughs> What's private equity? Who are these people? And I actually started taking meetings just to learn because I realized that I'm a, you know, I'm a service, service style business and kind of have to follow the money, right? And so um, I started doing that. I started meeting with people and I realized like this, this business is driven in a way that I had no idea. Like when I was, you know, just an employee of a beauty brand, I had no idea this was happening behind the scenes. And um, that education has helped me so much. It's really incredible. Yeah. Um, really special time in beauty. I feel like we're in a beauty boom. Yeah, you know, it's interesting if you learn a little bit about my childhood and the struggles I went through and how I ended up in the business I'm in. I mean, we are in the middle of um, looking for funding and talking to people, which I think should happen, be finalized in the next three or four months, hopefully crossing our fingers. But it's just kind of like I'm at this moment where I'm looking back on a lot of struggles I went through growing up in my life and my purpose and just how it led me to this perfect moment where this very niche business that I was given a, a very hard time about is like exactly what investors are looking for. You know, we have such a strong point of difference and it's a retail product line and it's in the skincare industry and just, I don't know. It just—I'm not the most religious person, but I feel like you know God really put me through everything for a really huge purpose, and it's amazing. Well, let's um, let's go backwards in time. Um, what would you like to tell us about your childhood? You know, I wasn't the happiest child. I'd suffered from numerous skin issues, being really overweight. I had a large Nevis mole on the side of my mouth that made me look like I was walking around with like chocolate on my mouth and acne and just felt very uncomfortable in my own skin. And then, you know, was always drawn to diversity, even like, you know, I came from a Jewish family, um, not like strict Jewish, but you know, we had some people that dated outside of their race, but I definitely dated outside of my race at a young age and had friends of a lot of different colors. And I think I was always kind of treated like I was just different. And then on top of that, I was very unhappy with my appearance. And so when I started going to dermatologists and estheticians for help, you know, years ago, I quickly learned like, this is what I want to do when I get older. I want to own a med spa and be an esthetician. So I have all the tools I need at my fingertips to help me look my best and I can help others. Um, and my parents weren't too into that. They were, you know, more traditional professionals. They were lawyers and really wanted me to go to college and just kind of, I think they thought that I would lose that, um, 
vision once I got into college that, you know, I wouldn't go to esthetician school. You know, they felt like it was like being a nail tech. Not that there's anything wrong with being a nail tech or esthetician. They just did thought it was beneath me. Um, Mm -hmm. But then when I moved from the Bay Area to Charlotte, North Carolina, to go to UNC Charlotte, I transferred colleges. You know, and then after college, I still wanted to pursue being an esthetician. And when I entered the industry, you know, the South has a very, very large African-American population compared to California. Like, California is kind of mixed up, but it's like a little bit of everything. Um, But the South is like half black and half white. And so when I got into the industry, you know, and started going to school, I noticed that there was like no education, no hands-on experience, darker skin, such a large darker skin population, but teachers weren't teaching us about it. The estheticians in school were predominantly white, so we weren't getting hands-on experience, and it was just kind of like this known thing, like you don't touch darker skin because it can burn, and it's just difficult, you know, and I felt like after digging, it was a combination of, like, fear because darker skin is more reactive, and I do think prejudice because I also think the aesthetic world traditionally has been kind of, like, white, older, white, wealthy women. Like, that's who you just kind of, like, cater to, and um, especially in the med spa world specifically, and I just thought it was crazy, and I wanted to be able to help the people around me. My best friend was half black and just had friends of all different nationalities. And so I personally decided to educate myself. I was, you know, ordering medical dermatology books from Amazon and taking whatever, you know, advanced education classes I could. And then after working in the industry for like a year, you know, I was like, you know, I'm going to open a med spa specializing in darker skin. And people thought I was crazy. You know, I think it just came from kind of multiple races. It wasn't supported. Like, I don't know, people just were like, you're not black. People aren't going to, you know, want to support you. It's going to be awkward or like, we don't, you know, think that the, dollar will support your business and like just all this stuff. And I was like, nope, I'm going to do this. And I know that I can prove everybody wrong and I can provide this great service. And, you know, I opened my med spa and it was a huge success from the beginning. I mean, the hardest part of both of my business has always been that they've grown faster than what I can keep up with. And sometimes my skill set, you know, so I'm, blessed to say that, you know, a lot of the things that I went through, even though it it grew at a fast rate, yes, I did deal with a lot of people that had to go the extra mile to prove that, you know, I did have the skill set, even though my skin color didn't represent, you know, most of my clients. Um, But through the years, you know, again, just my, my, it, I proved myself. So it's been an amazing journey. And then roughly about six years ago, I decided that I wanted to start my own skincare line, but it was not for the purpose of like going into retail or having some large direct-to-consumer website. It was really just for my medical spa. And so I started out initially private labeling products, except for these three cleansing bars. I had been selling 
PCA skincare and had developed a really large um, demand for their cleansing bars. And I knew if I got rid of all other skincare lines at my med spa, I would need to still carry something similar. And I liked the cleansing bars and I liked the concept, but of course I wanted to make them my own formulas. So I kind of did a twist on theirs, added some different actives and came out with my three cleansing bars and the rest of the line was private labeled. And, you know, I had developed quite a large celebrity clientele, like a lot of different celebrities would travel from out of town who were African-American to get my services because they had heard that we were good. And they had started posting when they would get, you know, Botox or laser hair removal or chemical peels. They would grab products and they would post them on their social media. And then people started calling just being like, we want to buy these products too. So we put together a website and then, you know, Six years later, here we are. I've stepped away, obviously, from private labeling. I would say 90% of my 30-plus few lines is all custom formulations. And we launched in Target about a year and a half ago, and now we're in Ulta and CVS. So we're in about 3,000 retail doors. And our website has not plateaued at all from expanding retail, which was something I was nervous about. It's just everything growing really quickly. We're growing at about 100 to 150% year over year. Well, okay, you just covered so much ground. And I know, we went I'm sorry. From, <laughs> we went from childhood all the way to the incredible success you had now. So, you know, when you and I got on the phone this morning, um, we were talking about, you know, how you have to work hard to make this happen. So you know, it sounds really easy, right? I had this idea. I opened a spa. People poo-pooed me, but I just kept going and look at me now. It's not that easy, right? Um, and I, I think it's really important for people to hear about, um, you know, the sweat and the tears that go into building a business oh, yeah. because there's no overnight success. It just means that no. <laughs> you just don't know the whole story. So, no. um I want to go way back. So when you were a child and you were really struggling with your skin concerns, um, did your parents have any resources? Like, were there, were there any places to take you to? Um, or, you know, were they sort of like, oh, this is just the way it is? No, my mom's very problem-solution oriented. You know, she's a, she's a lawyer. So she, you know, and then plus growing up in California, luckily I wasn't in the South because I'm 37 now. You know, I would say roughly – 20 to 25 years ago is when I started going to dermatologists and estheticians. And California was ahead of the game and had really developed that industry already. So, no, I was a mar- – she found great resources for me. And then um, did you – do you, like, have any memories of being super inspired by those physicians or estheticians who were able to get you out of that crisis mode? Yeah, there was an esthetician um, at – it's called Rejuve, Rejuvene. It's in Chico, California, and they were a med spa at my dermatologist's office, and her name was Renee, and she was my esthetician, and she was, yeah, I remember being in her room, looking around the room, and being like, one day, I'm going to have a room just like this with all the little equipment. I loved it. Uh, so you um, went to school, and then... W- got the four-year degree that your parents really pushed for. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And then you got out of school and said, yeah, but I'm doing this anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so um, you, you said that you opened 
um, a business, but like how soon after college graduation did you really say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make a viable business out of this? So four days after college, I went to aesthetic school. I was in aesthetic school for about seven months. Then I worked for a brand new med spa that opened right out of aesthetic school. The chiropractor had his wife was a was a patient in a med spa, and he just thought it was going to be easy, great money. So he bought a hundred thousand dollar laser that, by chance was a YAG laser, which is one of the few lasers that are safe for darker skin. And he didn't even know it was safe for darker skin. And so he hired me. He put the business in a location nobody could see. It was like deep in an office park. He had no marketing budget. And so I just sat there like day after day. But, you know, I learned all about the device that I had on my hand. So I started treating some guys that I knew for ingrown hairs on their neck, like they were African-American men who had really bad ingrown hairs on their neckline. And I took some amazing before and after pictures, and I went to all the different barber shops in Charlotte and handed out before and after pictures. And so we started to get some clients, and I was able to convince the chiropractor owner to give me a budget for a commercial on an R&B radio station. I wrote the commercial myself and the phone started to ring. And so I just went to my parents and I'm like, you know, this is my idea. This is my dream. Like he never going to appreciate it. This is something that, you know, we had planned on me possibly opening a med spa, you know, in two or three years after I really got my footing in the industry. But I think that I don't want, like somebody else to steal my idea of specializing in diverse skin. And so they said if I wrote a business plan, which I got this software called Business Plan Pro and worked with a, a bookkeeper to just crunch a bunch of numbers, that they, I could submit it to them and they would possibly co-sign on a loan for me. And that was what happened. Oh, that's so And how old were you at the time? Like 23. Wow, it's so young. <laughs> so young and you know I think that there's an advantage to being that young even though you make a ton of mistakes and you don't always have you're not as in touch with your intuition about people and situations as when you get older but you're so fearless like I feel like people as they age they want to start things new ventures but you just weigh out all the the responsibilities you have and I was just had no responsibilities I'm like you know, I had, I think the one thing that's always helped me be successful is like failure was just like not an option to me. I was like, I'm so into proving people wrong. And I had been through a lot of hurt about men and friendships and being bullied growing up. And I think I also had this like huge drive to really prove to people that they had um, just like really got me wrong like they had misjudged my potential and so I think that was a huge advantage but I still kind of have that chip on my shoulder that I think um, drives me but at the same time like I said I think just being young and not having a mortgage not having kids and it's like I'm just going for this right so you were like um, when you're working for the chiropractor you just like pounded the pavement like, and that, was that your idea oh, to do the before and after? Yep, and I, and I did, yep, that was all me, you know, and I did that even when I opened my business. I was very guerrilla marketing. I mean, I remember having receptionists drive me around neighborhoods while I hung out 
the window putting flyers in mailboxes. I went to every salon, every barbershop in Charlotte and offered to teach a one-hour class on skincare so they could help their clients and then refer to me. Like, I really, I mean, and it was, it, I was not somebody who wasn't intimidated. Like, every time I opened that barbershop door, I'd be like, take a deep breath, breath and be like, okay, you can do this, you know, but that's what you got to do when you don't have a crazy, you know, huge marketing budget. And um, so you were a very young woman with with light skin tone walking through the barbershop saying, I'm an expert in dark skin tones and men. <laughs> I can help you. Right. So like, did, did were people like, come on, like get out of here. Like yeah. or were people receptive? Yeah. yeah, no people. Yeah. It was, it was hard. I mean, there's still moments now where, but you know, it's just what I tell myself is like, it's, no different than somebody wanting to be an oncologist who's never had cancer. Like you can have a passion that, you know, is regarding a problem or, you know, a situation that you don't personally have, but you still want to lend your passion and your expertise to it. And I wasn't going to let the dysfunctions of our world regarding like race and stereotyping stop me from my dream. You know, I I can't do that, even though it was hard, but I feel like pioneers and game changers in the world, like to really move the wheel and be known as doing something great and different, like it's, it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so interesting that you mentioned that because when I started my agency 12 years ago I just I thought it was going to be easy I don't know why I thought that I didn't think that people around me worked hard like I would look at people who were established and that I admired I'm like oh it's not hard for them um and that's what I (laughs) that's what I was looking for like oh I'll just you know I'll say I exist and the work will come and maybe the work will be a little hard but like the running the business and growing the business it won't be hard because look these other people don't have it hard and I'm like, did I have a wake-up call <laughs> for the past 12 years? Yeah. Um, you know, now I realize that nobody has it easy. Um, no. Even if you're super celebrity, like, then you have all the pressures of, of everyone watching you. Like, so no matter who you are, you ha- if you want it, you have to hustle. If there is no such thing as easy money, if there's easy, if you get money really easy, it's usually temporary or some major catch, but I tell a lot of people, like, most people with a lot of money are working really damn hard for it, and I'm not saying that there's not a lot of people who are working really damn hard for a lot less money, too, but I'm just saying, like, the people that I know with a lot of success and a lot of money, they're working hard, and, you know, just talking about being transparent, which I've been doing this, like, kind of girl boss tour with WeWork working stations, like, all over the country. Me and these three girls who also have beauty brands in Target have been going around talking to women entrepreneurs who come to listen to us talk. And I think the thing that I've pushed the most is just being transparent to people that I feel I never want to deter somebody from being an entrepreneur or, you know, opening a business 
but I think that there's this hype around being a girl boss or a boss just in general. It's like this Instagram hashtag. And at the end of the day, I really think people need to be more obsessed with being happy than they do being a boss or having a business because I truly think that it's the end of the day when we're on our deathbed and we look back on how we spent all of our time, it's going to be measured by how happy we really were and not how much money we made or whether or not we were known as this big boss or this big entrepreneur. Um, Cause it's, it's really hard. I would say out of the last 13 years, I've spent much more time being depressed, stressed and unhappy than I ever have being happy and proud. Like um, all of this success has come at such a high price to my personal life like just it's not healthy the amount of stress that I carry on me and by all means there's people who probably handle it better than me although I think I handle it well because I get back every I get up every day you know attempting to have a big smile on my face and be like today is going to be a new day I'm very resilient but I I haven't dated for years um just always worried always always just having to be kind of like the bulldog for my company. Like I'm a little bit over being the one that's always having to have difficult conversations with labs or, you know, now I'm not necessarily managing all 50 people in my company. I'm managing like the higher level people, but it's still like just the day to day conversations of calling people out or, you know, just fighting for what my company needs to get to the next level is just, it can be really negative and exhausting. Sometimes I just want to be this like happy go lucky, positive person that spews nothing, but like compliments and positivity. And I can't do that or else my company won't get where it needs to be. Cause there's a lot of people that take advantage of you or don't do what they say they're going to do. So I have to like boss up and speak up and it's draining and negative. So what can you do to continue the trajectory that suits you the best and find more joy in your work? Like, what what are your options? I mean, obviously, I mean, like, exercise and vacations. That sounds crazy, but, you know, doing things to take my mind off of work. Now I'm, like, into watching Netflix Netflix series and putting my phone down just like really tap, try to tap out mm-hmm. but definitely as my company grows hire a couple key people that take over like fighting for me which is happening like I have a COO this guy um, named Brad Jones and he's definitely in the last year taken probably at least half of the really difficult conversations off my plate, but they've grown at the same time. So, you know, it's like maybe a couple of years ago, it was a hundred difficult conversations. I was doing all hundred. Well now 200 difficult conversations. So he's doing a hundred and I'm doing a hundred, you know? Um, but, you know, definitely the goal is to build up a C-level, you know, suite that, a C-suite that, takes a lot of this pressure off of my plate. But I also think it's a little bit unrealistic. Like one day, hopefully I get a a huge check from this company and I, you know, 
think it will happen because I've endured a lot of it. Right. So um, when you say that, it makes me think, like, in your heart, you see all the time and the sweat and the tears as, like, the investment. Like, you know, maybe you're not yeah. – like, that's the emotional investment, right? And that's going to get paid back yeah. with money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe freedom. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when I started thinking about my business that way, um, I – it took the pressure off a little bit. Like, whatever I'm doing now, and I, I actually take, like, se- segments of time. Like, right now, I'm super busy. Like, I'm joyfully thrilled to be busy, and my team's busy. We're working on amazing things. But, like, I have these sort of emotional buckets that need filling up, like, quality time with my kids, like, really spontaneous, silly time. Um, maybe, yeah, like, binging on a series or going to the gym more, right? So I have these buckets that I want to fill up, but I can't do it for the next three weeks because I'm just, you know, just jammed back-to-back. So I, like, wait. I look on the calendar and I see, oh, that last meeting on a Thursday in two weeks, after that, I get back to normal. And I just sort of, like, accept that as, like, the investment in my time right now. And then I get to have my, my kind of normal days. Um, so I look at them in little bits and not years because that's just overwhelming. <sighs> yeah. No, I know. You just got to take it in, like, a couple weeks at a time. Like, I do it, like – one thing that is a coping mechanism that really helps me is I always have a vacation planned. Like the second I'm done with one vacation, I'm already planning another one. So I can be like, I can just make it till that vacation. Right. Yeah. Um, it's so nice to have things to look forward to like that, that are outside yeah. of work. Well, let's, um, on this track that we're talking about, you're a single mom um, and running these businesses. So uh, that's, that's an added pressure. Right, you're not just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're taking that, care of people that you love. Um, that's tell me, tell me how you handle that. It's really hard. I do feel like I'm giving her ninety percent of what she needs, but it's coming to it's coming at like the cost to me and what I want to do, and probably why I'm not married or dating. It's just between the two companies and all the traveling I do with them and working, you know, I'm always rushing home to her. I'm always making sure on the weekend, like when I'm being asked to go do things, I'm like, I worked all week or I was out of town. Like I have to spend those two days with her, you know, from sunup to sundown. And so, like I said, and I love her to death, but of course there's like part of me that's like, I want to be at a bar day drinking with my friends, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, but she deserves, like, she didn't ask for to be the child of a single mom home or a mom that has two intense businesses that take her out of Charlotte a lot. So, you know, I just can't do that to her. And I do, and I do love spending time with her. And most importantly, like, I couldn't handle like, she's so well-behaved, and she's so emotionally in a good spot, and I know it's because I'm giving her what she needs, and I think I wouldn't be able to handle that if I was having somebody with a lot of behavior issues or, like, knowing that she was hurting because I wasn't giving her what she needs, I think, would be even more detrimental than just the sacrifice of not socially doing what I want to do. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, it's... Uh, it's crazy I mean I just I'm thinking I'm 37 
maybe like by 45, I'll like be able to step back and then I'll like get a mini facelift and then act like I'm in my twenties and just finally like live the life that I missed out on. That's what I keep thinking. I'll be like, I'm just going to pull everything a little bit tighter and then just lie and say when I'm 47, I'm 37. Like, well, we get to write our own script, you know, like just because you didn't, you know, do what you're, 30-year-old friends are doing that doesn't mean you can't do it when you're whatever age, right? We, like, we don't have to abide by these cultural norms. We get to decide know, for ourselves. But I do sometimes, like, feel like, I don't know, I missed, like, the era of being able to go out in cute little, like, you know, slutty dresses. And, like, I missed all this, like, building this company and that, like, I'm never going to get that back. But... I'm sure if I had been living that life, it wouldn't have been everything I imagined it to be. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is this idea of going from a direct-to-consumer business where you literally are having your hands on your consumers, right? Like like in the Medi Spa, and then, of course, your fans being able to um, get product right from your shop. Um, and then all of a sudden you're like in Target, and now you're in 3,000 doors um, around the world. Like what, what has... Um, that transition been like for you? Who it's been amazing, but it's been difficult strategically. Um, you know, we were a prestige price brand and prestige position brand brand, you know, like a professional med spa line with price points, you know, cleansers in the high twenties to serums in the seventies and value kits in the, you know, upper hundreds. Um, so when I got the opportunity with Target, you know, obviously they were like, if you want to do business with us, you're going to have to change your pricing strategy. And it was very nerve wracking to me because, you know, we were doing a couple million dollars online in sales, not profit, but just growth. But it was a very small company. I had like three employees. I was making a great living, but we were this very small business. And I worried that if I lowered all my price points, you know, and I didn't do well at Target or, you know, that this money that I was getting from my website would stop um, and I wouldn't be able to support myself or live the life that I had been used to. But just after a lot of soul searching, I talked to Lisa Price, who's the founder of Carol's Daughter, what we decided to do, because I didn't want to pass up the opportunity. I really felt like my consumer was in Target. Like, that's where the main place my consumer was. And um, so we decided to initially launch with just our cleansing bars in smaller sizes at cheaper prices. And it that worked, and it did really well, but then there was another problem. They wanted more products. And so, like, the more assortment I give them, the more I worried it would cannibalize on my prestige price products online. So we – what? but we ended up delivering, giving them some unique products, um, some exclusives, and did not find that it hurt my online business at all. If anything, the online business kept growing. But now that retail is expanding and they're just wanting more and more, and the whole – smaller size for cheaper does not work across the board for us. There's really only some specific SKUs it works for. So 
we are in the middle of separating our brand into two lines. We will have the Urban Skin RX line, which, you know, is in retail. And then we have some of those products on our website. And then we are rebranding some of our longtime, higher-end, more expensive formulas as Pro Strength by Urban Skin RX. And then we're also adding to that, like, there's a lot of formulas that I just can't, I'm a stickler for formulas and really, really high-level active. Like, I would say the worst thing somebody can say about my brand is it was too strong for me, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I can live with Mm -hmm. it being too strong for some people rather than not working. Um, So we're adding, like, chemical peel pads and dermaplaning kits with peel pads and really strong retinols that I just can't make. uh, The cost of goods are just too expensive for CVS and Target and Ulta. But the really interesting thing is after we prove to be this amazing selling brand for Target, what do you think entered in the space this year? Two more multicultural brands, and what do you think their Mm -hmm. price points are? in like the high 20s and 30s, you know, and that's the hard part of being a pioneer brand is, you know, on one hand, it feeds my ego, not my ego, but makes me so proud, like, oh, because of our success, like, it's opening the doors to more brands like Target and retailers are seeing that the multicultural skincare category is, you know, an amazing opportunity, but they also were very nervous with my price points and now that we proved it but we're like stuck in that pricing so it's like I'm pissed off but I'm happy so you know but at the end of the day our online business has grown tremendously we're growing but yeah in hindsight my cleansing bars didn't need to be $12.99 like they could have been so much more my serums didn't have to be $19.99 they could have been $29.99 you know and even but it still it would have never worked at the exact pricing we're at with our prestige line, we would have always had to separate into two, but we wouldn't have had to go as cheap as we did. Right. Um, it's so, so fascinating. I'm so grateful that you're willing to share all this behind the scenes um, information, because like I said, I think that the behind the scenes story, the real story is really um, incredibly motivating and inspirational. And we all need to be reminded that there's no overnight success. It doesn't come easy. We all have to work for it. Um, and I'm super proud to know you. I'm so inspired by you. And, um, yeah, I, I think that the um, opportunities for you and whatever your vision is, whatever it becomes, they're really endless because you have that fire in you. Well, thank you. I feel I feel like it, too, and hopefully you can come to my wedding one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will make time to date. Well, that's the other thing. Um, we can talk at another time about this, but... Um, you know, I, I think that, yes, yeah, things, things are hard. It's hard to drive a business forward, but then you have to think about what's the most important thing to you, right? Um, you need to start a, um, you need to start where like beauty and brains date each other. You need to start like that. App. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. Maybe we will. We were actually talking about doing like having a job hosting board because so many people who listen to our show are like really ambitious people and. Um, it made a lot of sense, that kind of alignment with job hunting. But, yeah, maybe we should have a dating tool, like smart yeah. people mm-hmm. who, um, you know, want to find each other faster. Yeah, go for um, it. Well, I, I look forward to it. We can talk offline and brainstorm on that one. But thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing your wisdom with us today. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. 
please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.